Hi, everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Barger-Milas, and I'm the editor here at Televisions. And joining me, as per usual, is my co-host and associate editor, Miss Annie Bundle. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was Tuesday for like a, a large portion of the day today, which spoiler alert for those listening at home, though the show drops on Tuesdays, we did not record this on a Tuesday. So. No, it's okay. I thought on Tuesday, I thought it was going to be Thursday all day. So like the next day, like I tried to skip over Wednesday completely. I, I don't even know why. Like I just decided Wednesday didn't exist or something. My brain was like, no, screw off Wednesday. You don't get to exist. Um, But no, Wednesday had to exist. So. You know. Yep, hate it when that happens. Anyway, um, what are we talking about today? We are talking about, we are still deep in our like fall of mysteries. Mm. And uh, so we are moving on to the second mystery series in the uh, Masterpiece Sunday Night lineup. And that is a new show called Magpie Murders, starring uh, favorite of the pod, Leslie Manville. Who is in literally everything right now? This is like the heart of the Manvillaissance that's uh, that's happening right now. Let me just use this as an opportunity to tell everyone to watch Harlots. Oh uh, yeah, no, we should absolutely <laughs> use this as an opportunity to tell everyone to watch Harlots. Um, I just this is this was such a show that I was I've been so excited about since um I found out about it last year. Um, I've been promoting this to people telling them that this is the show they want to watch um i got the first two episodes back in the summer um as part of the television critics association and i absolutely loved them um as someone who uh, has to recap vienna blood and uh gets basically matthew beard and colin hill like for two seconds on screen and it's always magic having them together for an entire real scene was real nice um so uh, I, I I wish there'd been more of that. Like, I just, yeah, there is so much here that I was like, so that I'm so here for. Um, It was not what I expected. I will put it that way. You know, I know you're not a mystery person. And I kept, I, I knew that you would look at this and be like, this is going to be basically like Leslie Manville solving crimes as opposed to, you know, um, you know, instead of it being like Nicola Walker solving crimes or Kate Phillips solving crimes. But it's not. It's so different. Like it's, 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 it's as much a fan. It's as much a, a TV show within a TV show or a book within a TV show. So it's very, it's, it's weird. It's like I said, and when I say weird, I don't necessarily mean it in a bad way because I've watched a lot of TV over the past couple of years that I would classify as distinctly weird. Um, it's WandaVision, different. WandaVision and Kevin can F himself spring to mind immediately. Mm. But um, I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to because That's it good. wasn't the show that I expected it to be. I also have some questions because mm-hmm. I feel like we are dropping this episode. We very purposefully waited until we were two episodes into the show because we were like, oh, well, we'll finally like get a real feel for it. Well, no, 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 no. I knew that we couldn't do it after the first episode because I'd seen the first two. And I knew that well, we... Part of me kind of feels like we should have waited till after the third one because I feel like that doesn't even get to like... It feels like it takes two episodes to set the show up, and I'm not super complaining about that, but also, like, that means there's only, like, four more episodes to go. Like, are they fit? I mean, and I guess since the 
next book in this series is called something completely different, they will solve this mystery in the next four episodes. But it just, I don't know, it feels, it, it the pacing was also unexpected. Okay, um, two things. A, Magpie Murders does not at this point have a season two pickup. So we do not know if there will be more of this. Um, even though this aired on BritBox back in like February of this year, like there has been nothing, there's been no move on this. Um, because I think they were really waiting to see how it played with uh, American audiences before they made any decisions. That being said, the second book in the series, um, Moonflower Murders, is a completely different mystery. So this is a close ended story that could basically spawn more stories with Susan Ryland as the heroine. But if it doesn't, it is a closed ended story where audiences will feel like they saw a beginning, a middle and an end. And I believe um, I have not actually watched past episode two, but I just from like seeing the reviews and like under and knowing the synopsis of the show that this is going to feel like it it has an ending and there isn't a need for a season two if it doesn't get one. Well, I'm also just saying there's another book. Oh yes, there which, is. Which which in this which in this uh in this current media landscape almost always means a sequel. Almost always means a second season because it means there's more material. That was more that was more my point. No, no, I, I I'm 100% with you and honestly, if they had greenlit a second season before in the last 8 months, I would be like, yeah, of course they're doing it. But the fact that they really didn't and they've held it for the American numbers makes me wonder how well it actually did in the UK. I mean, it was a critical darling in the UK, but that doesn't mean that people actually watched. Um, I also don't know how many people really watch BritBox UK as BritBox UK is kind of, um, I mean, it's really supposed to be for Americans and the idea of BritBox UK is kind of um, missing the point. And I, it's actually being shown shut down and folded into ITVX as one large streaming service um, in the UK uh, the BBC has exited BritBox and it's just going to be like an ITV streaming service um, which also might have something to do with the fact that they haven't like greenlit a second season anyway um, all that being said uh, we should talk about what this show is about <laughs> yes <laughs> um, so Magpie Murders basically begins with uh, Leslie Manville as an editor um, that works for a book company that's about to be sold. Um, the deal is partially predicated on them having author Alan Conway, who's played by Colin Hill, as one of their main writers. And he writes these incredibly popular mysteries starring Atticus Punt, um, who has this kind of German accent and he's um, sort of an Hercule Poirot without really quite being an Hercule Poirot. And the thing is that Conway never... Conway is kind of a Conan Doyle figure. He never wanted to be a successful writer of mysteries. He always thought of himself as this, you know, esoteric, you know, intelligent writer. And here he is basically writing what he sees as mystery trash. And he basically kind of hates his character and he kind of hates everything. And he's a very miserable kind of man. And he also takes forever to write his manuscripts because he doesn't want to be doing this. Also, he writes them by hand, which good luck. <laughs> yeah. Can I just tell you, like, as someone who has attempted to, and failed to write novels like his process, I was like, yeah, I wish. Um, anyway, so Ryland basically has been on Conway trying to get his latest you know, the latest manuscript out of him. And finally, he like has dinner with her boss while she's out of town. And the boss gets the script. And when she gets it, she takes it home and she reads it. And the last chapter is missing. 
And when she goes in the office on Monday and she says to her boss, hey, listen, I didn't get the last chapter, did you? He's like, you need to sit down because Conway's dead. And he'd, he's, quote unquote, fallen from the tower in his house, in his fancy, fancy house. And it is clear at this point that Conway has a lot of enemies. His sister hates him. He's just dumped his boyfriend, who was played by Matthew Beard, in like a really mean kind of way and told him that he's nothing, he's trash. Um, and it basically over the next episode and a half, we learn that like basically everybody hates this guy. His next door neighbor hates him. The uh, the 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 town like sergeant hates him uh the town detective hates him and it's partly because they've all been in they've all been taken and put in his books in as 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 the dumb characters who can't possibly figure anything out and as as you know making fun of them basically like uh the sister discovers that there's a character that he basically sneers at because you know she 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 looks awful and everybody knows it but her kind of stuff like it's really mean and you know, one of these people basically read the book and lost it and killed him. And Ryland is convinced that if she gets that last chapter, she will learn who it is who killed Conway because she feels like he must have been writing his life here. Well, yeah, I get that part of it. And I kind of, you know, he certainly seems like a terrible person, but I also feel like it's gotta be kind of hard to write your own murder before you die yes so, so i don't know there there's a bit of uh, what i find really interesting about this show and one of the reasons i got very excited about it after seeing the first two episodes is that ryland keeps making assumptions about conway and they're not always true and she's not a totally reliable narrator either like she doesn't know things like apparently one of the things we learned in episode two is that Conway's death has in some way benefited Ryland's boyfriend, but we're not really sure how because Ryland's boyfriend claims to hate Conway and he's not telling her about it. And it's just, it's a very straight, like there, there's, there's more going on here than she has any idea about that we know about. And so her idea that he's written his own murder, you know, it almost sounds right, except it's also impossible. So the question is, is it is it a double who done it? Did the person in real life who killed him also the person in the book who killed him? Or is it going to be somebody else in the book who killed him as opposed to the person who killed him in real life? And with all the double castings, that makes it a lot of fun because, you know, the, the as I said, like he takes the like his boyfriend is kind of pun sidekick in the novel. Maybe try to explain the this because one of the reasons the show is so interesting is that it actually does have this dual narrative but it's actually a dual narrative that you're watching both halves of it as opposed to somebody sort of expositioning what happened in the book like you're kind of watching an adaptation of the book that is interspersed with the i'm making air quotes real life narrative that leslie mandel is in until she starts having hallucinations of the detective which questions i have them but like that's where they sort of start crossing over deliberately and i don't i don't know where it goes from there um basically so the 1950s murder that pund is trying to solve uh is basically like there's a man who is very clearly the stand-in for conway who is murdered 
But he's not the only one who's killed. There was a death 12 years ago that he may or may not have been involved with. And then there was also his housekeeper, quote unquote, fell down the stairs while vacuuming. And that's actually how he first finds out about it is because the girlfriend of the son of the woman who fell is worried that her boyfriend is being is going to be accused of murder. And it's all a little bit complicated. So there's there's this 50 there's this 1950s um basically setting which is the same setting as the the modern day like the houses are the same too but like the costumes are different the the timeline is different the cars are different everything and like there's almost a sense where you could like where where you almost step from the 1950s into present day and then back again as as Ryland at first it's when she's reading the book but as the second in the first episode she's reading the book in the second episode it's just sort of we sort of dive into the mystery and then dive back out for no real reason and i can't it, it's not really clear i mean it's clear that these are supposed to be like echoing each other but why why and how we're diving in and out of each narrative is not exactly clear as yet um, I just, I honestly, like, I think the double casting parts are brilliant. I love it. It's one of the things that I love about it the most, like, that that we have, like, Matthew Beard playing, like, you know, he basically calls himself a rent boy in when he introduces himself to, uh, to Ryland. And then in, in, you know, and then he's this very 1950s, like, you know, the, the, the model assistant um, character. I would say that as somebody who doesn't watch these show very often, these sorts of shows that often, I feel like I think it's really kind of it's very bold and different the way that they set this up. But I also would not be surprised if some people find it, at least in the first two episodes here, like kind of kind of slow going, kind of confusing because it is a little especially at the beginning. I had to rewind some scenes because I was like, wait, what's happening? Mm hmm. Um, just because like, you know, you don't, when you watch a show like this, you sort of expect the story to unfold in, in certain, in a certain order with certain beats that happen in certain places. And this show does not do that. No, it does not. I will absolutely agree with that. And I think that's also one of the reasons why I wanted to hold this until we'd gotten to episode two, because most of the time in a six part mystery, by the end of episode one, someone has said, aha, it's murder. And like we and the murder goes and 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 off we go, and no one does this until the end of episode two, which in and of itself is a completely different structure and different pacing. As, as Lacey, as you said, we only have four more episodes to go, and we've only just declared it murder, and not even entirely, because no. like basically the only person who believes it's murder is her. Yes. Oh well, no. I think her editor is convinced by the. I think she does convince her editor that that the uh, that that Conway that Conway's quote unquote suicide note was not actually a suicide note, and that they'd read it wrong. Mm-hmm. That it was basically the last chapters. By the time you read this, the last chapter will be coming, except that um, the last chapter never came because he died. And because he died, they read it as a suicide note, even though it was really, I, I have terminal cancer, so I've given my character terminal cancer, and this is my last book. Um, I actually thought that was one of the more interesting moments, is that we have, you know, there's a character who is killed who is obviously supposed to be sort of the Conway stand-in, but Pund is also a Conway stand-in. And especially in episode one, like, they each have, like, their experience going to the doctor and being told it's terminal cancer. And that 
And yet that's one of the non crossover castings. They have completely different doctors. And I I wondered why the show decided because in so many places like Conway is basically reflecting real life in his books, and that's why. And in this, he did not. And I, I thought that was a really strange choice that really stuck out to me. Interesting. Yeah. I did not catch that. And now I'm like, he faked his death. <laughs> well, no, because... I just like to get these predictions out early so that I can blow it later. I, 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 if we had not seen a body, I might believe that. But unfortunately, we did see a body. We did actually, like, see a body. Um, and we found the guy... We actually saw the guy discover the body on the weekend after it had fallen and had basically been lying there slowly dying for hours before actually passing away. Um... I also thought that there were some very interesting clues that doubled that may not actually that may be red herrings. Like one of the things that like uh, Rylan points out first in her I don't believe this is suicide to the local cop is the letters handwritten, but the envelopes typed. Uh, who types envelopes? Um, uh, um. I mean, I print labels for envelopes, but that's because... I didn't even type envelopes when I, like, had to send mail. Oh. I just write it by hand. It's easier. No, no, I actually, um, I print labels and have, like, a ton of labels off in the side because I am an ex-administrative uh, assistant and I love labels. Anyway, um, you know, enough about that. Uh, and my weirdness. Uh, the fact is, is that, yeah, he... In episode two, there is a clue at some point that turns up where literally Pun says the letter is handwritten and the envelope is typed. And I was like, is that supposed to echo? I mean, that's supposed to echo, right? How, how <laughs> I are love these... this because I have no memory of that happening. <laughs> that's right. You know, and that's sort of the thing is because I am such a mystery person, those are the things that stand out to me. Those are the ahas. I'm supposed to pay attention to that. And you're not a mystery person. So what are the things that stand out to you? Um, do you mean like in terms of the mystery or in terms of the show? In terms of the show, because these are the things that stick out to me in terms of the show. Like the fact that like his real life, the doctor in the book is like a woman is a woman. And the, the scene is very different from the one that Conway gets with a man in 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 contemporary times. Like I thought that was very interesting and that didn't really stick out to you. You know what? What stuck out to you? Uh, Leslie Manville, whom I love. Oh, well, of course. She's so, um, she's so awesome. Just generally. But, uh, I like Susan a lot as a character. I think she's interesting. I was much more interesting, uh, interested in the stuff that was going on in her life than I was a bit about Conway dying, because Conway seems kind of like a, well. A jerk. Um, someone the world will not miss. Yes. Is, let's, let's <laughs> put it that way. Um, so I was much more interested in in her trying to figure out if she wanted to run their publishing company or she just wanted to, like, go live in Greece. Um, I think it's pretty obvious she is not into the whole uh, Gre suddenly let's move to Greece thing that the boyfriend springs on her at the end of episode one. Like, No, I don't think she is. But also Greece might be nice. I don't know. Well, listen, I, I, I will I will I will tell you that Keely Hawes made me want to go to Corfu. So I mean <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not anti Greece here. I'm just saying that But like... I I I think um one of the things I like the most about her character is that she does not um a lot of times in, in mysteries when you get like the normal person and the cop, like the normal person somehow has some kind of I don't know, like preternatural ability to solve crime. Grant Chester. And she's just like a normal person who 
thinks in like normal people pathways if that makes sense like yes. she she it's very like maybe it's because she's she's a woman but there's a lot of sort of soft skill stuff going on here like relationship based things feelings sort of vibes that kind of stuff like she does not you're you're right she does not know everything but i think that's why i i, I think that's why i like her because she doesn't she doesn't just stumble into like a dead body and suddenly become Sherlock Holmes. That's true. She does not. Like she has some skills she's picked up from reading mysteries. And you can see that they are act and you can see when she asks these questions that it comes from having read tons and tons of mysteries. Like they feel like questions that come directly out of a book. But they're not, it's not, that doesn't make her, like, preternaturally good at this. It's just that she's read a lot of mysteries and she knows what the first questions to ask are. <laughs> right? Because she's read enough, because she's read enough tropes that the tropes come naturally. And I think that's also one of the things about this show that really speaks to me is that it's playing with tropes. It's playing with the tropes of a mystery. It's playing with the tropes of a mystery story. It's playing with the tropes of a period mystery story and a contemporary mystery story at the same time. And it's also doing the book within a book. <laughs> like, it's so, like, it's doing so much. It's almost doing too much in a way, I think, sometimes. Um. Sometimes, sometimes, yes. Sometimes I think that, like I said, some of it, felt especially at the very beginning felt incredibly confusing to me and i had to like back up the screener a little bit because i was just like what is happening i have to say you know what i actually did that too and i don't usually like unless i'm like physically recapping as i watch i usually don't pause mysteries because i don't need to like it's one thing if like i'm recapping like i don't know annika and i need to stop and be like what was that character's name again what's that okay right okay we can continue now back up i need to know exactly what the quote was all right keep going right i didn't see myself doing that with magpie because magpie is not, i'm not recapping it carmen is i'm really sorry carmen isn't here actually she lo she's read the book too and she i know she was supposed to be on the show with us but she had something come up and had to cancel and so yeah. you guys just get us yeah so we, i look i tried okay i tried to get somebody who is like more into this than me well we will get her when we come back to this at the end of the season um but i really find that like i usually don't have to go back if I'm not like recapping because I know mystery tropes so well and here especially in that first episode when we switched from contemporary to 50s and back again I would have to stop and be like wait what happened like those switches really did throw me at the beginning too even though I knew that she was sitting down to read the book and they do try to make it sort of easy for you like in that first episode where she's like I'm gonna go read my book now and then the scene starts and yet even so it was such a jarring transition like when the football game interrupts her reading like that yeah. was like utterly jarring to me and I was like wait what the heck oh right okay all right got it now and yeah that I think that it is in a way almost trying to do too much at times because that's hard for people. And I, I just I wonder if there are people who are going to basically watch this and be like, I don't know what the heck's going on, but it keeps switching and it's cool. So I, I don't know if that'll if that'll be enough. Um, Like I said, though, I give it a lot of credit for trying to do something different. Oh, yes. God knows this genre does not do um very often lord have mercy no so i like that about it i think i'm just gonna have to see 
I'm not sure how I feel. I think what it is is that at the very end of the second episode, like I said, like Atticus Pud basically shows up in her bedroom. It's clearly like a hallucination or something, a vision. But uh, I don't know how I feel about that. And I get that the show needs to have some sort of device since she's finished reading the book to like somehow delineate between both halves of the story we're watching, but also she's literally seeing visions of a fictional detective. And I don't know. I don't know if I think that I don't know if I think that's going to end up being like really smart or really silly. Okay. So this is the show. Okay. So one of the things about the novel is I have not read the novel, but I do know enough about it to know what they're trying to do here. Basically, this is all told from Rylan's point of view in the novel. And she talks to him in her head as she basically stumbles across things that strike her as cluish and when she has these sort of book questions that she's sort of trained to learn that she sort of without realizing it sort of learned to ask and as the mystery gets harder she starts asking at she she starts thinking what would pund do is sort of like and and so she sort of talks to the character in her head what would you do and this is the show kind of staging that by having her see him like at first she sees him just in her rearview mirror when she's about to drive off to uh Conway at the very end of episode 1 when she's about to drive off to Conway's town you see him in the rearview mirror um and then in episode 2 you see a a, a hallucin- as you call it a hallucination of him in the uh in, in her bedroom and i i that is them trying to basically find a way to stage something that is not stageable if that makes sense because interior dialogue is not something that, you know, like you can do voiceovers of it, but it never works. You really need to like find a way to act it out, to to show, not tell. And this is the showing, not telling of that. Hmm. Um, I am cu- You are right, though. I'm curious how it's going to play out since they are changing it. Yeah, mostly because if what you're saying is true, then that means that we could be watching two different versions of Atticus Pond in the same episode. Yes. Oh, that makes my head hurt. Yes, that's correct. Because there would be like the Atticus that she's seeing in the real world versus the one that's in the book story. Yes. And that is, as I said, she's an unreliable narrator, which makes her pund an unreliable detective. Um, I should note, and this is actually why I'm not, I know that you're a little worried about the whole hallucination things, but I'm not as worried uh, British author Anthony Harod- uh, Horowitz, who wrote Magpie Murders, he wrote the book. And also the creator of Foils War. Fun fact for the folks at home, which is very weird to me. That's just not that not that it's weird that he wrote Foils War, but this just seems very different from Foils War. He apparently also wrote like tons of scripts for Mid- Midsummer Murders. Um, and he actually developed the concept of magpie murders while working on Midsummer Murders. One of the interviews we did at the Television Critics Association, he talked about that, that he actually first came up with the idea for this book like back in the late 90s. And that he wanted to create kind of a mystery story that was like more than just a murder mystery, um, but like sort of like a, 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 an exploration of the tropes of mystery writing. And I and and I think that's 
I, I think that that is part of why it is so different because he wrote these very standardy tropes. And so this is him trying to, you know, basically working against them in a way. And also, but the thing is, is because he wrote the novel and he has adapted his own work to screen. I feel like I trust, I would trust something like taking it out of her head and making it a hallucination a lot less if it was a different writer adapting than it is the actual author himself deciding, okay, here's how let's stage this. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually, I think the fact that we have someone who is a successful television mystery writer who then? I mean, Lord knows, Midsummer Murder's been on for like thirty seasons. <laughs> I, I mean, as I said, like he came up with Vampire Murders around the time he started Midsummer. I think Midsummer started when I was in high school, like ninety five, ninety something like that. Like I'd, I, I'd have to look it up. I'm sorry. Um, I should have probably. Uh, Foil's War was like what two thousand two. The look that I'm giving her through our Google video chat is just like, I don't know why you're looking at me for these answers. I've never heard of either of those shows till I came to work in public media. <laughs> okay. My mother loves Foil's War. So I've I've I know very I know a lot about Foil's War. Anyway, um and Midsummer Murders has just been on forever. Like I feel like it's been on since like it's one it's like Grey's Anatomy. It's like outlasted my it's like out, outlasted one of my marriages and five of my cats. No, I was kidding about like thirty seasons, but I do think they're on like season twenty six or something at this point. It's something freaky like that um yeah so the fact that he is part of these very successful and yet very tropey mysteries that are very standardized in the way they solve themselves and that that inspired him to write this book which then became a bestseller and now has this critically acclaimed tv show adaptation i think is also key to why this show is so interesting because it's someone who knows the genre inside and out, and not just in the novel sense, but in the in in a script sense and in a televisual sense. Mm. So it make it makes it so he can play with the tropes on all these different levels, even if that is kind of a lot. <laughs> it, it is kind of a lot, <laughs> and I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. It just. I don't know. I think this show is going to be an acquired taste for a lot of people. Um, and the people who are really like possibly Midsummer Murders fans who are just like, I, I like this to follow like a very specific formula. And mm. that is what I find comforting or interesting about the genre are going to struggle with this a little bit, which is, I think, kind of the reason that I like it is all the reason that it's not those other things. Also, also Leslie Manville. I, I think that's part of why it excites me, too, because it's something so different. And it's something, you know, like it is now, of course, cliche to say that Game of Thrones, like upended tropes and turned things on its head and blah dee da dee da But that is why, like, fantasy readers got so excited about it. Because after reading decades of the self-same trope played over and over again, having someone come in and sort of kick the kick the door down and turn every and take the house and shake it and have everything fall out is 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 refreshing. And I feel like there's a level where Magpie Murders, despite the fact that it is slower, despite the fact that it is a very different kind of pacing that may not speak to everyone i feel like it's something that 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 we need in the genre 
We, we, we need more mysteries to be willing to just sort of play with it and not follow the not 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 color inside the lines or, or, or connect the dots the way they're always connected, but to do something different. Hmm. If that makes any sense. Also, um, I realized this is one of Masterpiece's uh, early decisions to really pick up and run with. Masterpiece used to just always be an anthology series that acquired from um, the BBC and ITV. And since uh, since the advent of streaming, it's had to sort of get into the production business as well. Um, it picked up, you know, uh, Sanditon as the lead producer. It picked after the first season. It picked up Miss Scarlet and the Duke to be the lead producer after the, after the first season. This is one that it actually got in on the ground floor to produce. And I think that's also really interesting that this is the kind of thing that they looked at and said, yes, let's do this. Um, I hope that means... I hope that means good things for the show. Yeah, that it might actually that that the re, that part of the reason why they're holding doing a, a second season is because they really wanted, uh, because it's masterpiece who's the lead on this, so they needed to see the American audience before they felt like they could do it. Maybe. Uh, I I I do know that uh the the second book, which is a uh, Moonflower Murders, is definitely like a Susan Ryland book in the same way, and it definitely follows. It, it, the, 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 there's a level where like she had I think I don't know if she has pundit in her head in the same way but I do know it's sort of like it, it's a completely different mystery where she has to like figure it, it, where where she has to figure out if the book proves the murder or if the book and the and the murder are different um, but I don't know enough about it to uh, to to know spoilers because again I haven't actually read these I just have synopsis of them that have passed mm. under my eyeballs over and over again in the last year as we wrote about this show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean seriously though, like it's true. Like you do pick up a lot when you are just writing about a show, even if you've never actually read the book. Uh, what's a little interesting for me is that normally, like, when I don't enjoy shows like this, I sort of, like, live in the land of the supporting characters because they're usually a little more, like, interesting and fun in in more predictable series. Weirdly, I find myself not caring about almost all of the supporting characters. Really? That's so funny. Because I honestly thought, like, you would totally, like, jump on, say, I don't know, like, the sister. Or that you would be really into Ryland and, and Andreas as a as a couple. I mean, I think they're cute. I don't think that... I, I think she could probably do better. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's fine. I think he's fine, but I don't think he's a man you moved to Greece for. Let's put it that way. I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe some of these characters will become more interesting sort of over time. But like, I, I feel like Clara, Clara Rushbook is really just wasted here. And like, I don't know, like none of them, none of them are very, uh, none of them super stand out to me except maybe the dumb detective he seems bitter and also nice um i really love claire rushbrook um i think it's really interesting because claire rushbrook in in uh in this series uh is basically like the sister and it, she just played um leslie manville's sister in the other show i know so weird right it took me it took me right out of it for a second because i was like wait what's happening yeah, I was like, yeah, you know, like in, in sure in Sherwood they play sisters and here they play sisters. I also really don't need her to have daddy issues either. Yeah. Like, you can keep that. Yeah. We've been there. 
Everyone who solves crimes either has daddy issues or is a drunk or is a drunk with daddy issues. So keep that. Uh, the the inspector who has made an impression on you, by the way, is named Chubb, um, which I think is hysterically funny. Um, he's actually uh, that's Daniel Mays, uh, who oh, is he's been in like a bajillion things. Uh huh. He's he was Arthur Young in Good Omens. If you, uh, I think that's the thing that like really hit me um, about him. Uh, Carmen interviewed him for something that was on like Acorn, and I don't remember what it was. But yes, he is he is very much a hey, it's that guy. Yeah. Um, I also just, uh, uh, you know, as I said, I really love Matthew Beard in both of the versions of his roles. Um, I, I have to say he's kind of really hot, the contemporary version of him. Um, and I need to see Matthew Beard in more contemporary things, I think, after this. Um, I, I, I definitely think he's hotter than Andreas anyway. Uh <laughs> Um, I also just love Pippa Haywood as the sister and the and the and and the and the uh, fictionalized sister too. I think both of those are really great. I think she's great as both of those. Um, I also feel like possibly Alan Conway's books are bad. I feel like we should just say that. We should just put that out there. Um, I don't think we're supposed to think that. I think we are supposed to it sort of like. Do you know like what? Do you ever watch Riverdale? And like, well, not now, because like in the current seasons of Riverdale, like I'll get back to Magpie Murders, I promise. In the current seasons of Riverdale, like the teens have superpowers and all kinds of weird uh, things. But uh, in like the first seasons, it was more of like a normal teen show. Yes, and it like was. Jughead had these aspirations of being like a famous author and he was always going on about his writing. But every time anybody would read any of his writing out loud or he would sort of read it out loud, it was horrible. And I feel like he is Jughead, but an adult. <laughs> Um, I got there, see? I sort of assume that he's more like a, a, a like a Stephen King kind of figure or or but but a but a pretentious one. Like he's someone who when he stays in his lane, he writes the things that people really want to read. Um and he's good within his genre. Um but I also get the sense that we're just that he's limited. I do get the sense that as a writer, he is limited and he knows he's limited. And it's part of why he's so bitter because he wants to write better things than he does. And he hates the fact that he can't. And he hates the fact that people love his not that great stuff. If that makes mm. sense. And I feel like that is really like a running theme here. It reminds me of like, did you ever read? I did read these books, but I remember seeing them in the stores like Mary Higgins Clark mysteries. There were like 8 million of them and they were sort of all the same mystery. And I think that might have been a V.C. Andrews situation where they definitely kept publishing books under her name after she was no longer with us. But <laughs> um, yeah, I can see that. Um, I also feel like there's a level where Hor Horowitz is making fun of that kind of writer, the writer who's really good at like one thing and doesn't appreciate it. Like, I feel like there's almost like an anger at that kind of writer who is stuck up that maybe he knows a few of those in real life and that this is him in the same way that Conway is taking it out on taking out his anger at, at, at the people around him in his books. I almost wonder if, if Horowitz isn't taking out his anger at that kind of author in this book. I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it's just, it's, it, it's one of those things. All right. Let us, let us uh, wrap up our episode with an important question. Who do you think did it? And do you think, two part, who do you think did it? And do you think it will be the same person in the book in real life? 
A, I don't know. I don't even have a suspect. And that's part of what I love about this show. Usually by the end of episode two, I'm pretty sure I know who did it or I've landed or or I've fallen for the, the, the red herring of who I'm supposed to think did it. And in this case, nope, I haven't a clue. All I know is that Andreas is 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 more suspe- is more sus than he should be. All right, you're putting you're putting your you're putting your marker down on on the boyfriend. I, I don't I, I'm not I'm, I don't think he did it, but I think he's way more way more of a suspect than Susan has any idea, and I think she should dump him. Um, that that's that. Um, as for the p- same person in the book and the same person in real life, no. I'm putting my money on the person who did it in the book is absolutely not the same person who did it in real life. Okay. I am going to put my money on he's not dead. <laughs> I love that. I'm just putting it out there. You saw the body! So? You don't watch Riverdale and it shows. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that's, not, that's no, no problem for the teens of Riverdale. Didn't they kill Archie and send him to hell? Didn't, like, Sabrina, the Teenage Wish, showed up at some point and kill him? I don't know. I haven't watched this show. I, haven't, I truly have... I have I've not watched Riverdale in several seasons. I had to stop when Cheryl dug up her dead brother and was sort of puppeting him in her dining room. Um, with, like, wow. voodoo. I don't know. I don't know how... Like, all I know is I think the last... This is going to be the last season coming up, and I feel like part of me wants to catch up just to see how it ends, but also I don't. Anyway, um, back to my predictions. I'm going to put my first marker on he's not really dead. But if he is really dead, I'm going to just go with the super cliche of the the um, the snotty boyfriend. Because he just seems like a huge jerk and also gets a bunch of money from him being dead. Uh, second, I am also going to say that I don't think it's the same person in the book and the show. If only just because like that doesn't make any sense to me. Unless, unless if he faked his death, it could be the same person in the book of the show. And that's like how he sort of tells everyone that he did it. That, that's kind of neat. I don't know. I just want everybody to know that I'm saying he <laughs> could still be alive because I want to look like a genius if I'm right. You know, I, I just have to say, because you keep bringing up Riverdale, that I feel like Riverdale is a show that doesn't really exist. It's one of those shows that like somebody, fa- like it's somebody's fantasy of a show and they randomly tweet like plot points from it that are completely impossible and ludicrous and ridiculous. And we're all supposed to laugh and pretend that we know that this show doesn't really exist. Like, I really don't believe in Riverdale. And I say this as someone who has had to write about it. I think they may have gotten a dog with superpowers. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure because I, like I said, I haven't watched the past couple of seasons. I know they brought uh, Sabrina back from her Netflix series, which questions about that because of what happens to her on her Netflix series. But I will not spoil it. Um, I don't know. It's wild. Listen, 58 year olds watch Riverdale. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's wild. I don't think that this. I don't think that Magpie Murders is going to descend quite to Riverdale's level, but uh, I don't think it's above. I don't think it's above a death fake out, is what I'm saying. You you do you do think that it could be it it could get that wild if it really wanted to? I think it could. I'm just saying, like, if the last chapter turns out to be, oops, Atticus Pond doesn't want to solve crimes anymore, so he faked his death, and because he's a detective, he knows how no how to make it so no one figures out it's not real. It's not. It's not out of the realm of possibilities. I'm saying. Okay, listen, if that really is the answer, if you have brilliantly, geniusly fallen ass backwards into the answer... We're going to make like a clip show about me being right, if I'm right. Um, we're going to do something where like, I, I don't know, what we're gonna, I'm going to take you out to dinner or something. Uh, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm probably not right, but I feel like that would be the most like hard swerve 
that I could come up with. And I, I literally never even thought of that until you said it. And now it's that's brilliant. And um, it's not going to be that. I might be slightly disappointed. I am available for you to hire me, television <laughs> writers. Just so you know, let me help shape your crazy show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I'm going to top that. Nope. At this week so I'm going to call it and uh, we will come back to bagpipe murders after the season is over and we can all see whether or not I was right um, in the meantime tell the people where they can find you on the internet you can find me at Annie Bundle on Twitter you can find me at Miss Annie Bundle on Facebook you can find pictures of my extremely fuzzy cats and their extremely fuzzy bellies at Annie Bundle on Instagram I am a staff writer at Elite Daily and the associated editor here at televisions and i also freelance around the web so if you want to know what i wrote about this week just go to my twitter i'm pretty sure this week i'm writing about black adam um yeah and uh and house of the dragon and um and and handmaids to i'm writing a lot, a lot of things that's what i'm saying okay yeah just follow me on twitter thanks huzzah uh i am lacy mb on twitter that is l-a-c-y-m-b and like Annie, I write a lot here at Televisions and around the entertainment web, but I too always tweet my bylines so you can come and be my friend and check out whatever I am ranting about currently. Today, in a weird throwbacky thing, like my mentions have been a mess about Sansa Stark for days now, so we'll just... <laughs> you might want to try messaging me several times. This is going to take me a little bit to see it. Anyway, more importantly, my cat's gotcha day just happened, and you should celebrate by following them on Instagram at Baker and Hammer. I've had them for two years now, and they are like the best pandemic decision I've made. Uh, yay, Baker. Yay, Hammer. And yeah, if you don't want any of that, the site and the pod are on social media at Television's blog, all one word on Facebook, and Telly underscore Visions on Twitter. We have a shiny new website at televisions.org, which, if I do say so myself, looks amazing, even though I had nothing to do with the actual physical building of it. I will happily take credit for it. But uh, there you can read news, recaps, some exciting listicle-type things. We're adding some new voices. We're trying to expand our coverage in lots of new and different directions. So please come check it out. And while you are there, you can click on that Donate button up top to help us keep making all this great content for your eyes and ears. Uh, while you're there, you can also get access to PBS Passport, which will give you a free look into all manner of things once you are a member, including the rest of Miss Scarlet Season 2, new series Annika, a bunch of cool stuff that's coming up later this year that I can't talk about yet, and more. Uh, in the meantime, that is our show for today. Thank you for being here as always. Happy fall, happy Halloween a little bit early. Uh, which is also my cat's favorite time of year because they are black cats. And uh, I made my appointment for my COVID booster and my flu shot finally. I'm getting them both at the same time. I'm a little nervous about it, to be honest with you, but that is okay. It is okay to be nervous about it as long as you do it. So if you have not scheduled yours yet, and I've read some really depressing statistic about how few people in America have actually taken advantage of their second booster, like, please do it today. I don't, this winter is going to suck enough without us all being sick during it. Um, yeah, that's our show. As always, thanks for listening. We appreciate you, and we'll see you next week. Bye.